Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this edition of the Behind the Mask podcast, we sit down with Jerome Boger, NFL official. That's right. He led the first all-black officiating crew in the NFL. We also go back in time and talk about what do you really think happened? When the 49ers played against the Ravens in Super Bowl 47 and the lights went off, last but not least, you know we had to get his most embarrassing moment. All of that coming up right now. Let's go behind the mask. Welcome back to a special edition of the Behind the Mask podcast. I am your host, Akio Spikes. And what makes this edition so special? Yes, but no, it's not the plus size model who I'm about to bring in right now. Tua, yeah. What's good, man? It's your favorite plus size model. Two-tone red is in the building. Spice, you looking real islandish right now, brother. I'm live. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Well, you know, I give credit to the filter in the background. You know, all about <laughs> the backdrop. No doubt, no doubt. No, but listen, man, this is how we don't make this edition special. It's Black History Month, and we are looking for history, and I think we finally found it today. Our next guest coming to the stage on the platform of the BTM. Man, I want everybody to give it up to the man who led the first all-black crew, officiating crew, in the NFL. Y'all give it up. For Jerome Boger. Hey, thank you so much. Yeah, thank yeah, you, guys. Yeah. Appreciate that. Oh, yeah, man. Feel like I need to come through a tunnel or something. Need some steam <laughs> coming up. Well, come on through it. Well, come out behind the mask then. That's what we need. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, Jerome, we, we appreciate you taking time joining us today. And uh, when we look back, you know, so many years, I played the game, two-time played the game, and you officiated all of our games from time to time, but you started back in 04. And what made you want to get into officiating? And I know you had a sporting background, but what made you want to get closer to the game from that perspective? Well, I just enjoyed having my own uniform and I enjoyed being around sports and being a part of something bigger than, you know, I enjoyed the team aspect. And uh, when I was in college, I was taking a course. uh, We believe not my, Offensive coordinator taught a course in sports and officiating. And he just emphasized the importance of being a part of something bigger than yourself and making sure that the game was played fairly. So uh, after I left college, you know, after my playing days were over, you know, I looked back at the uh, local high school association and decided to join one so I could con- continue and be a part of something big. That's amazing, man. And Tequila touched on your immaculate history in the NFL as well. Starting off in 2004 as a line judge. Yep. Now, yep. So, somebody, hold on, hold on, Mr. Bogus. Somebody over here played offensive line now. Okay. And here's, here's a little bit of history. Your first game in 04 was a Monday night football game, correct? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And you were officiating the Carolina Panthers, my former team, versus the Green Bay Packers. Oh, so guess man. Who was, guess who was on the offensive line during that game? Oh, man. <laughs> now, you're going way back. I just found the old DVD the other day that I had saved for that game and was just reminiscing. Monday night, you know, that was a big yeah. game. I, I was, was excited. To, like, I don't know what. You know, it was a big call in that game that I made. 
as a line judge, and uh, it's just it was a big moment, a, a very memorable moment for me. And now to reminisce know, it, that's great. I want to know did that memorable moment come in with calling? How many times you get two for holding that game? <laughs> <laughs> he always held. He held all the time. Uh, well, you know. I, I just tried to do my job the best that I could. And if it worked out, you know, it just works out. I didn't know I go, I never went out there looking for a five, but you just tried to, if you saw it, you know, get down on it, you know. Well, see, now we were 15, 16, whatever years later, man. Now I finally got you back on the Behind the Mask podcast. So we're we going to talk about it a little bit. Oh, man, that's great. That's great. I appreciate that. I got some story about Takeo, too, you know, from that same year, you know. Good stuff. Yeah. <sighs> It's just been great. I remember um that first year also as a line of scrimmage. Uh Tequio knows my son. And so Trey said, Well, Dad, if you get a chance, go on to holler at Tequio. I didn't know the first year that you really teams don't really want you going into their locker room, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we went up there at Buffalo. And uh, I say, What the hell? I just going in this locker room, just holler at him, come on back out. And man, when I went in there and they knew I was an outside, everybody was kind of <laughs> looking at me like. Who, who is this dude coming in here? You know, I I, I put the key on a bad spot to say, well, you know, I know the guy. He ain't that bad, you know, something like that. But I just learned from a uh, big right then, don't really go in the team's locker room. That's that sacred ground. Let them have it. If I was going to holler at him, I'd catch him on the sideline or somewhere, you know. But that was just a memorable moment as well. Yeah, so you know I told him after you left. They was like, why are you coming in here? Uh-huh. Fellas, we are good. Okay, well, I'm glad it worked out positive because I was kind of nervous out there. I said, man, I can't believe I may have messed up coming in here, you know. (laughs) No, it's good because it led to you, you know, becoming only the third black referee in the NFL history. Right. So, like, when you talk about that or even when you think about that, what does that legacy mean to you to know you're coming in as the third one? Well, it is exciting. And to let me know that I'm carrying on the lineage of, first of all, just showing that blacks can do it. Okay, if you give us an opportunity, we're not going to screw things up. Everything's going to be just like it normally looks, except it's going to be a black face out there carrying it out. So I was just glad to be a part of that because, you know, I don't say it's pressure, but you say, well, I don't want to be the one to mess this stuff up that they say, hey, we made a bad decision in bringing this guy in here, you know. So I was just glad to that it's all worked out these these years and uh, looking forward to a couple of more before I call it a day. And you were also the only black referee at the time, the referee of Super Bowl, correct? Uh, well, really, I was the second one. Mike Carey had worked one uh, maybe a couple of years before me. He was the second black referee. I, he lives out in California, I think. But he worked the first uh, game as a uh, referee, and then I was the second as a referee. So what was that experience like? I, I was blessed to, to make it to a Super Bowl. Again, with the Panthers, we didn't win. But what was that experience like for you? Well, you know, it's exciting times. And for you as a player, you know, the excitement that goes with uh, working that championship game. So it, it trickles down to the officials the same way. Because, you know, that's the only game on that uh, particular day. Everybody's watching. So uh, you want to show that you're able to handle the position and see you can perform at a very high level and be unbiased, you know. Last season, you guys made history again, especially you, um, becoming the lead of the first all-black officiating crew. And I think that was a preview, which we did not know at that time, of the NFC Championship game when Green Bay went to Tampa. 
And yep. um, I remember watching that game vividly, but um, it was a proud moment for me. But it's all about you. So, like, <laughs> take us through the emotions and, and the experience of that night leading the guys on to the field to officiate that game. Oh, man, it, it, it's, it's, it's like it was the high point of my career. You know, Tekeo, you know, it's just something about being out there with uh, other officials who have come through the same struggles that you have coming up and uh, to finally be there together. And a lot of those guys I had refereed before with in college. So going up to the game, we could reminisce about some of the things that we had done in college to put everybody at, uh, relaxed, that we were working together. And then to just go out there and you know the level of the game is going to be good. But the biggest thing is that you want them talking about the game, even though it's a monumental moment, but talking about it positively uh, for the uh, historic aspect. aspect of it. But you don't want to be brought in and say, well, man, the officials blew this, the officials blew that. You know, you don't want to be having the negative uh, negativity shine on it in that light. So it was just great, man. It was exciting. Uh, it's one that'll last for a lifetime. You know, I have a lot of paraphernalia from the gate. I had the guys sign, you know, to make it memorable for me. And uh, I'm just, I was glad when it was over because, you know, <laughs> the camera's always on you and it feels like it's always on the referee. They play the camera kind of follows you. So you got to try and stay um, calm out there and not get too excited and things like that. So, ah. Uh, I'm just glad that it worked out well, then it played well. And that's the first thing you want to see, that the game played well and you all uninvolved in the outcome. That, and that's gratification enough right there. And you you talking about that, you you always have the spotlight on you, right? Um, not only the, the tens of thousands of fans that are in the stands, but millions of people at home each week watching you, hearing you. Sure. And do you ever like sit back, one, and get nervous and then reflect on, all that you've accomplished in your years in the NFL? Well, yeah, I sit back and reflect a good bit. And, and before the game, you still get nervous, you know, and uh, if anybody says they don't, you know, I mean, there's just a little nervousness before you go out there, even for the coin toss, you know, well, please don't let me stumble running out here on the sideline to the middle of the field. And uh, I always tease with the guys and say, all right, guys, the first penalty, Throw me something soft. Don't throw me no complicated mess the first time. I don't need that. Throw me a, a softball that I can handle it, dispatch it, and get into the flow. Okay, when they come with that real hard stuff early, you be like, oh, man, what in the world? You know, so. I know about the certain calls, and I know about how that pressure can be because at that moment, everybody stops and looks, looks at you guys. But ha do you ever recall a time to where you felt pressured to call or not to even make a play call that could that could determine the game? Uh, not too much to kill because um, I say we try to get out of that pressure zone by saying we know every game is we're going to be reviewed and they're going to look at it play by play, slow-mo, backwards, forward, put it on the wheel, run it back and all that kind of stuff. So the pressure zone, hey, I just got to stay focused. I got to concentrate for three hours or for 60 minutes of regulation time. And honestly, call what I see. If you don't see it, you know, hey, just let it go and we'll worry about it later on. But, you know, that, that's the biggest part of, uh, as far as worrying about getting the play. You don't want to be the one to miss the play yeah. that caused somebody a hardship, you know. Yeah. And then realistically, you know, hey, I'm not going to get them all all the time. But you go out there every week, every moment, 
just trying to stay focused on these items that I'm supposed to look at. And you hope the other six or seven guys are doing the same thing and it all fits together. Cause yo, when they come to with a lot of stuff, I don't know in the world that I'm taking them at their word that it went down. Like they say it did, you know, and sometimes you may try and peep up while they talk. You try to peep up, see if they're showing a replay on it so you can have some comfort for yourself. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Because sometimes they may be out there kind of sheepish with something. Well, you know, out there, I said, oh, if you don't know, let's step back and we're just going to let it stay as we call it, okay? I need you to build confidence and sell me that you got what you got. Otherwise, we're going to pass on it and, and we'll find out after the game what we did, you know? And I and I know that in itself is, is tough because for players, the worst feeling is watching film the next day, right? You already remember what happened during the game. Sure. You messed up or you went, you know, something went wrong. But the next day when the team meeting, you have to watch it again. And now all your peers, your teammates are watching the play that you messed sure. up, right? Or missed a block, missed a tackle, a wide open touchdown, something like that. But what is it like for the officials when you actually got to sit down there and watch that film? It might be some controversial that's been on, you know, a sports center or something like that all night. What is that feeling like the next day when, you, you know, you have to watch that film again? Oh, it's that same feeling of disappointment and that you just didn't do uh, what you were challenged to do. You just try to understand why you missed it or why you uh, thought you saw what you saw and how you can do to prevent that from happening again, to put another team in that misfortune. And uh, you kind of, it, it even happens in the game live. Okay. There's a controversial play per se. And there's a moment where you running it back through your head as to what you saw and, and, you know, trying to slow it down so you can see all the action. And then sometimes it takes some guys a hard to go to the next play. They're still on that plate. Dog, I missed that whole, you know, the guy broke for about 10 or 15 yards and really should be stopped right here. And then you got all the, the flack from the sideline. You got flack from the players. So the a hard part sometimes is just going past it, you know, before you get to the next day. You know, and then immediately a lot of time when I know card, you may look, I always look at the clock. Okay, one fifteen, one fifteen, the fourth first quarter. I'm gonna come back and there's something I want to look at around, and I'll just look at the entire play around that time mark, time stamp, and see what I think. You know, I was trying to remember so I can just uh, learn from it. You know, is that what y'all when y'all pull y'all pads out? That's what y'all write down yeah, on the, it, the it's, 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 Yeah, it's a note card. You know, I'll tell you, you put down the time like one fifteen oh eight. And that, that's to know it's a question, you know, because you know if you threw it or not. And you just want to go ahead and look if you are good in your decision making to pass on it. Or, you know, the next time, hey, if I see that, that's that's what I want to get. Because we are visual and we look at a lot of videotape. And I would tell people, um, you we look at tape of teams just like the players. And in your brain, you have a tape on one side running the tape that you saw. And then on the, during the game, on the other side, a wheel is running the live action. And you try to see when something matches up. Okay, get that, you know, pass on this. So you're constantly concentrating on what you've seen that is a tendency for this team to do. And then you try to run it against the live action to see, does it come to fruition? You know, like we have ideas who likes to bloke to the uh, play to the echo or the whistle. And you try to talk to them before the game, you know, to let them know, hey, okay, I know you're aggressive, but we want to try and, you know, play within, the, you know, Lighten up a little bit today. Just you know, I'm I'm with you. You know, yeah. That's what I used to do to tequila to the whistle. 
He was that type of. He was like one of those Georgia Nats. Just swat the shit out of whenever you get a team. And and every team wants a guy like that on the team. You know. When we talk to opposing coaches, because they always tell you about what somebody else is do. And to your surprise, sometimes I had a coach this year saying, you know, he wasn't complaining about the guy. And he said, to be truthful, Jerome, he's the kind of guy you want on your team. You know, I just don't want him to hurt my guy. So that's why I'm bringing it up, you know, to us. And that kind of took me back, you know, that game recognized game. And you recognize that type of player that brings a lot of that stuff that you need to bring to be successful. You can teach them how to do it. But they gotta have it in this in this inside that want to, you know, to bring it. That's always good to see that out there. What was your most memorable game in the NFL? Um, this one because it's most recent, it, it, it's high on the list. But I guess that Super Bowl, um, the Super Bowl. I worked uh Super Bowl 47 between um Baltimore and San Francisco. And what makes it memorable, the lights went out. So that's why I can all, all the Super Bowls run together. But this is the one where Beyonce turned the lights out at halftime. So I can always <laughs> come back to it. But that, that was exciting times to be able to finally make the championship game and to have a good performance and have them. They're not talking about the officiating. They're talking about the lights went out. They're talking about Baltimore had a you know great first half and San Francisco made a charge at him at the end and just fell short as opposed to talking about, man, those officials blew every call that was out there. They blew it. So th- that makes it memorable for me in a positive light. Well, we, we talk about big-time memories and things that are memorable. So on the Behind the Mask podcast, I want to remind you there there's only one rule, and that one rule is there are no rules. Okay. So I got to ask, we remember... And you brought up the Baltimore game, but this Baltimore game, we remember when you were running around trying to get out of the way from uh-huh. Lamar Jackson, and they were playing against the Bengals, and you got caught in the crossfire. What was going through your mind while you was trying to move out of the way, and you saw the Bengals trying to run and you know run down Lamar Jackson, and ultimately, like you were on a highlight tape. Oh much. yeah, but y'all got ears and eyes everywhere. Okay. I got that one back there, but, I, you know, I was just glad I didn't trip him, okay, that I did ultimately some kind of way get out of the way, and he was able to maneuver around, and I'm not on there for making a tackle as well as, you know, going to the turf. But, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson, you know, we kind of get set as far as these yardage, our positioning, where we can position our quarterbacks, and, you know, you're kind of good, 14 yards deep, you know, Outside the tight end is a good spot, and you adjust from what the player does. And Lamar, first of all, he started to go up the middle. So I kind of stopped and watched him, and then he spins backwards and goes to his right. So a lot of times when they get outside the pocket, I try to send them ESP message on the quarterback. Okay, throw it away, throw it away, get rid of it, dump it. Okay, because I know nothing good is happening when they're coming at these quarterbacks. And this guy stops and pivots and reverses and comes back toward me. And I was kind of just for a moment lost. And if I go to my left, I'm going to go up to the traffic where all these other players come from. Maybe I can outrun them going to the right. And I tried a couple of steps, but the guy so quick, he was on me. So quick. <laughs> the only thing I could do was get my shoulder across and try to just dive out his way. That's, that's all I could do. <laughs> you know? And then Baltimore hey. coach wanted to, after, after I rolled over, they were looking at Tommy. He took a late hit. I said, hey, he did. <laughs> 
Ay, sí. I can tell you I missed it. You know, there's no way I can see that going off. But it told me, so I had them later on in the wild card game. I told Lamar before, hey, man, you won't see me all day, but I'm behind you, okay? You probably won't see you, but I'm behind you back here. I just learned my lesson to uh, give him an extra couple, two or three more yards and uh, just give him all the room he needs. You know, he had almost caught me early in the season uh, in Miami like that. You know, he just keeps running and running and running. And it just catches you off guard because not too many quarterbacks do that, you know. Not too but, many players can do it. Talking <laughs> about quarterback, and I was like, "Well, what is he doing? You know, he's coming back. He's always trying to make a play." And I, I trying to teach, "Hey, you can't make a play every time. Sometimes just throw it away and move on to the next play. Don't try to make a play on this one. Give it up, and and when we're all good, you know. But he wants to not waste an opportunity, and you know, stress that field to those guys to keep running." and hit somebody downfield or either take off himself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was a memorable moment, you know, to say the least. I remember that moment. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. And you've had several memorable moments in your historic career. Um, what, when you look back at that career, what, if anything, would you have done differently? Uh, if, um, anything I have done differently? Um. Maybe apply to the NFL earlier, sooner, you know, than I did. Because uh, I started officiating, man, a long time back in 78. And uh, my wife kind of is what got me to apply to the NFL. We said, you know, I progressed. I started with youth football and progressed to high school, then on to college. And uh, I was doing small college in the SIAC. And um, we were watching the game. I'm watching the NFL game. Back then, Johnny Greer, whose number I wear, uh, was referee in the game. And we're just sitting there, and, you know, she just looked at me and said, Jerome, you can do this, can't you? So what your wife asked, can you do something? What you going to say? Nah, I can't do it. I said, yeah, you know, I, I can do that. You know, so she said, well, you ought to look into it. So I said, oh, man, here we go. So, you know, the honeydew item is another thing to do. So I researched and found item. some information and uh, got the address. And I, I I sent a letter to the NFL to I was interested in me becoming an official and everything, and what did I need to do to um, make my goal? And, um, you know, crickets. I ain't hear nothing. <laughs> nothing back from them. So finally, maybe, i say maybe the end of the season, uh, they wrote me and said, well, hey, we want to uh, take a look at you next year. Next year, send me your schedule, and we'll begin to start watching you. You know, they send people out to scout the officials just like they do um, the players, you know, to see how you manage the game or uh, your, your penalty selection, just how you carry yourself on that particular stage. So that started the process. I just wish, you know, I, you know, I started this cause I enjoyed being around the sport. You know, I've been around football ever since maybe third, fourth grade. And I, I enjoy it. And I just wanted a way to stay close to it. I had time free on the weekend. So I said, well, you know, why don't you get back and start officiating? And you see like you're pretty good at it, but still you don't think of it's something that I'm going to progress on. I just didn't think about it. And it might have been because you didn't see that many black officials doing it too. You know, so you don't know it's out there for you to do. And that's why I try to stress now the people to the guy, hey, they just, they just need to see us out here and they see us, they need to see us performing and carrying ourselves as true professionals mm-hmm. and showing that they can do this too. 
So so that was the biggest thing. Uh, I wish I may have written to them earlier and started my career earlier, you know, and, and trying to get to the NFL. Yeah, and you talked about it. You say you, you really didn't think about it because oftentimes we feel like we can't be what we don't see. And now that you're in that position, my question to you is what advice would you give young children who look like us in particular who want to pursue a career in officiating? Well, that the sky truly is the limit, that you can be anything you want to be in uh, sports, and it can go beyond being the actual participant as far as uh, the player. You know, there are several fields in football uh, available to you, and, and if it's not officiating, it could be coaching. We're getting more opportunity, and the push is on for um, – football management, you know, they just have to think creative, creatively um, that there's an opportunity for them in sports. A lot of times guys, uh, girls too think, well, if I don't play, I can't do anything else. There's several officials who have never played. They, they enjoy sports, but they, they never really played. I don't say there's a lot of them in the, in the NFL, but I know there are a couple guys. They've never, they've been around football all life, but they've never really played, mm-hmm. you know, but, they are students of the game. They, they they know the rules, and we have a good training program in that you're put out there in situations where you can learn. I don't say it's on the job; it's on the job training for a good bit. But they're going to have you ready for they put you out there. But the progression from youth football on you know to high school to college to professional, the game is the same. It's just played at a more proficient level, and players make plays. You know more than you may have seen starting out. But the opportunity uh, for being close to something that you can have an impact on and make a difference and get enjoyment. I guess I'm a, uh, a athletic type person. I enjoy, you know, being outside. You know, I enjoy being close to athletes, you know, and the talk, the locker room, That that's enjoyable to me. And it's always a, a good feeling and a good um take that I take whenever I leave a game or, 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 or leave somewhere athletically. If, if I go to a basketball game, I feel good because I see some athletes performing at a high level and the plays that they make are unbelievable. So I feel like they need to just understand they can do it. Yep. And hopefully in the future, they'll feel better about that because now the video games get them, you know, they want to do it through the video game, but they can do it by being an active, active participant as well. Well, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this again. It is Black History Month. And you, Mr. Jerome Bogart, you are Black History now. So we thankful. We are very thankful for you to be a part of history and especially giving us the opportunity to really sit down with you so you can tell your story on the Behind the Mask podcast. So we really appreciate that. And thank you for the time. Takeo and Tutan, thank you so much for you know reaching out to me. I'm glad that uh, I was able to be a part of this broadcast, and this makes this a memorable moment in Black history as well. Right on, my brother. Right on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.